Well, last week, we entered a season or a little story about God's work in Abraham and Sarah's life that involved a situation that was not, well, a situation where they were faithful. Um, the situation involved Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. Um, you remember the story a little bit from last week, don't you? Um, Abraham and Sarah had been getting along in years. God had promised that they, even though childless, would have a child and a great nation would come about and God's blessing to all people would come about. But after about a decade or so, it didn't seem like God's promise was being fulfilled. Sarah was getting along in years. Abraham was even older and it didn't seem possible. How could God fulfill his promise. Well, let's look at the story again in Genesis 16. It says, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Now, this term slave, before we go too far, uh, the term slave there actually meant sort of like a, a, a servant. Now, it was definitely an indentured she, she was not able to be free. She was definitely under uh, Sarah's dominion. But this role was one of sort of that personal attendant, personal servant, personal attache, the one that was always with Sarah to take care of Sarah's needs. And it was not unusual in that society for the husband to ultimately marry that person, descendant, to be sort of a concubine wife, not having the same status as the head of the household wife, but still having more respect, more place in the family. And so Sarah gives Abraham this, this attendant, this servant, this slave to her husband to say, let her be your concubine wife. I, I, my children will be sort of like her children will be reckoned as my children and will sort of have a family that way. Well, Abram agrees and it says in verse 4 that he slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was a pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And let's wait there for a moment. You know, we talked last week about avoiding Hagar's. Not the person, but symbolically, right? That there are places where we are tempted to compromise. We are tempted to give up on God's promise. We're tempted to maybe do a shortcut where, well, I know God says do it this way, and I know he's made his promises, but you know what? It's been too long. Maybe there's something else. Maybe there's another place I can get healing. Maybe there's another place for financial success. Maybe there's another place for sexual fulfillment. Maybe there's another place. And we begin to trade in the promises of God and what God has called us to, that obedience and that life with him, we trade that in for Hagar. And last week we talked symbolically, are there Hagars in your life? Is there a place where you said, no, I know God has promised... I think I can do it this way. We have to avoid those Hagars and wait in patience for God's promise. But sometimes when we have a sermon like that, we lose sight that these were real people. That Abram and Sarah and Hagar were people. They're not just symbols to teach us spiritual truths. They were people having to struggle with with actual situations in their lives. 
And look what it says in verse 4, that after Abraham sleeps with Hagar, after she conceives, and she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. The younger person who had her own dreams that might have been taken away as she was put into a life of slavery, as sure, she was the head slave, sure, she was the attendant to her mistress, but could she have a life of her own? Could she have a family of her own? Could she ever achieve status or anything that she... And now here was her chance. All of a sudden, she's now one of the wives. All of a sudden, she's the one that's pregnant. All of a sudden, it's her son that's going to be the firstborn in the family. All of a sudden, she's seen status and opportunity. And she begins to despise those, why is Sarah still giving me orders? Why is she still telling me what to do? Aren't we the same level? Aren't I a wife as well? Well, let's go on. Verse 6. Abram sort of <clears throat> reestablishes the order after Sarah complains. She says to him, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows that she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Last week we noticed how quickly we are to blame everybody else for the situation. Well, look what Abraham does in verse 6. He says, your slave is in your hands, Abraham. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Who was in the wrong here? Who, who did wrong in the situation? Was it Hagar for seeing this opportunity and despising her mistress? Was it Sarah, who this was her idea in the first place, and then becomes upset about it? Was it Abram's fault for not um, saying, listen, guys, we've got to find out how to have peace in our home. We've got to figure out how we're all going to get along here. We've got to figure out how to make this happen and make this work. Who was at fault? Well, there's probably blame enough to go around, right? But here's the tr sad reality. Abuse can happen anywhere. Sarah's response was to go ahead and begin to actually be abusive in homes. Now, our topic this morning is difficult, and I, I put that in the newsletter. This is going to be a hard one for some of you because you've experienced this kind of abuse in your homes or maybe in your workplace where people were unfaithful and people were not doing what they said to do and perhaps human resources didn't respond in the way they should respond. Or maybe this was far more intensive and more personal because it was in your household from a parent or from a spouse and you've experienced these kinds of things. And People did not respond appropriately, both in the home or outside of home. Here we see in the patriarch's lives, not just a symbol of learning to avoid certain spiritual pitfalls, but we see very much the consequences of sin. We see that there is destruction that comes in Hagar's life, in Sarah's life, in Abraham's life, and even in the children's lives because this abuse was occurring. This happens. This is awful. And Hagar fled. She ran away. She said, I've got to get out. Look at verse uh, 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that was beside the road uh, to Shur. 
Keep going. Let's read more. And he said to her, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from? Where are you going? And Hagar responds, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. Verse 9. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress. Submit to her. And the angel makes a promise. And I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. We can make some big mistakes here. This is a difficult story to interpret. Because all of a sudden the question is why in the world God sends this angel to Hagar who's fleeing a terrible situation where she's fleeing abuse. And the angel says, go back? Go back? To this abusive relationship? Go back? Oh, God makes a promise. Sure, you'll be blessed and your son will be blessed. But go back? It leaves a question. If we can mistakenly interpret a scripture like this and say, are we supposed to stay in some kind of abusive situation? Are we supposed to go back into an abusive household? Are we supposed to go back into that kind of place? There are pastors and Christians that will teach yes but I think they're wrong. Hear me very clearly. I think they're wrong. I think we've got to look at the whole counsel of God. We can't take an isolated story like this one with Hagar and begin to make a spiritual principle out of it because if you do, I think we can misjudge what God has for us. In 1 Peter 4, it does talk about enduring unjust suffering. In fact, in 1 Peter 4, he says, if you suffer, it shouldn't be like a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Sometimes I think um, some of us need to hear that. Are any of you meddlers? Some of you guys are meddlers. I know you are because sometimes you're meddling around. Okay, so okay, I'm a meddler too. Um, Don't suffer for people complaining about you meddling in other people's affairs. But here's the deal. He says, if you suffer as a Christian. Peter's context is very clear. He's talking about unjust suffering as a believer, where you're bearing up persecution because of your faith, because people are uh, mistreating you or saying wrong about you or saying ill about you. Jesus says that's going to happen. So, yes, as Christians, sometimes we need to bear up under unjust suffering if we are suffering as a Christian. But look at what he says. Jesus, when he's confronted about marriage, he says some things that are very interesting. When Jesus is talking about marriage, uh, people ask him, could we get a divorce for any and every reason? Jesus says, no. It's not for any and every reason that you get a divorce. Absolutely not. God intended us to stay together. In fact, he says, God made them male and female, and what God has put together, let no one separate. People will take that to mean that, no, you have to stay in an abusive situation. But they're wrong. Because look at what Jesus says. The people ended up asking, look, Moses permitted a man to get a divorce and send her away. Jesus says, it's because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. We need to realize that sin corrupts, that sin is destructive, that people's if they are being abusers, that those kinds of things are not what God ever intended and not God of God's design, that our hardness of our hearts are the reasons why even Moses in the Old Testament, words from God, had a legitimate opportunity for uh, separation between a man and woman. Why? It was because of abuse. It was because of these things that would go so badly. Look at how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
to the married I give this command not I but the Lord this is a command from Jesus himself Paul says a wife must not separate from her husband but look at verse 11 but if she does but if she does now I think of God and he gives us absolute commands a man should stay and woman should stay together but then Moses gave permission for certain circumstances for them to have to separate because of unfaithfulness because of abuse here in the same way in 1st Corinthians chapter 7 we see the Apostle Paul saying look guys it's absolute you're not supposed to leave your spouse you're supposed to stay in that commitment you're supposed to stay in that commitment but if she does leave if she has to leave for the protection of her children for the protection of her family for the protection if she needs to go then that is part of what God would allow in fact it's good because love always protects 1st Corinthians 13 this is a difficult one but it's one we need to realize um, God doesn't want any kind of separation or divorce but if there's abuse then the woman needs to leave and move out it does say a woman a man is not supposed to divorce his wife it is seen because men are that supposed to be that physically stronger that especially for physical abuse okay guys you gotta help figure out how to how to make your home right here this is a tough one but I think it's a truth that we need to see one more place in 1st Corinthians 7 look at this people can misinterpret this passage each person should remain in the situation they were when God was called wait what does that mean He's talking specifically about slavery here uh, for people who are uh, free and people who are slaved. In the Roman Empire, some scholars believe that it was almost 50% of the people who were in slavery, either because they were captured and forced into slavery or because they were indentured servants, that they put themselves into kind of, they sold themselves into slavery to pay for debts and as sort of a job. Are you supposed to stay a slave? Are you supposed to stay where you are at? Paul's trying to emphasize here it doesn't matter to God what the rest of the world sees you as doesn't matter you are his child you are his freed person it doesn't matter you can stay in exactly that situation and have the exact same worth to God whether you are the slave or whether you are the free person but look what he says in the next verse were you a slave when you were called don't let it trouble you although if you can gain your freedom because in the Roman Empire you could earn enough money on the side and you could buy out your contract you could become a freed person for many of the slaves they could become free and be liberated some even at a certain age were set free and it's like if you can get your freedom that's not a wrong thing to do you should what am I saying this morning don't ever be deceived God's intention is never for abuse to be incurring whether in the workplace or in the home or in your life God has come to give us life and life abundantly Jesus says God has come to set us free and God has come to bring change but what we should pull from this passage is that the moment when Hagar was on the road when, when she was in the desert when she was pregnant and didn't know where she was gonna go or what she was going to do God saw her need and God cared about her 
That's the truth you should bring. It's not to, oh, go back and be in abusive situations. No, don't hold on to that idea, but hold on to this truth. God sees. God knows. God cares. Verse 9. The angel told her, go back to your mistress, submit to her. And the angel added, and I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The promise that God gives had to resonate in the life of Hagar. Everything that you had hoped for, that life for your child, that he would become a great nation, that his virginity would increase, that you would be fruitful, that your life has a purpose and has meaning. All of a sudden, God's words spoke to her need. Listen to verse 11. The angel of the Lord also said, you're now pregnant. I think she probably knew that one, but, you know, that's okay. Um, God sometimes, you know, saves the obvious. The angel said, you're now pregnant. You're going to give birth to a son. Here's the new information. Give him the name Ishmael, which means God hears. God hears. For the Lord has heard your misery. Some of us don't always see all the things that are kind of hidden in the text. Hagar, the name Hagur, uh, actually kind of sounds like the foreigner, the foreigner, the outsider, the person who's not really part of this family. She was living in that kind of situation. It was miserable. She was crying out. She didn't even know to who, but ultimately because of Abraham and Sarah, hopefully she understood she was crying out to God. The foreigner's suffering, being in the slavery, was crying out to God. It shouldn't escape us that actually the reverse would be true. Abraham's descendants, his people, would later be in Egypt. They would be the foreigners. They would be the slaves. And after 400 years, their misery is heard by the Lord. He said, I have seen the suffering of my people. God sees. God hears. God cares. Have you ever felt sort of forgotten? As if God didn't know what you were going through. Have you ever felt like, oh no, the Lord ha has missed this one. This intense suffering. Why doesn't God act right now? Why doesn't God move in our lives right now? Why doesn't God fix this situation right now? We can even come to the place where we question the goodness of God. I tell you, if you have dealt with uh, family members that just, I mean, it just feels so intense. If you have dealt with that job situation that the abuse and the, the inappropriateness just doesn't seem to end. If you have dealt with that unfulfilled need or place in your life, it brought me to places where I've often questioned, well, not often, but have come to a place where I've said, God, are you there? God, are you listening? Verse 11. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. You have seen those tears that nobody else saw. You have heard those cries when nobody else heard. You are the God who sees even these miserable things. She says, for I've now seen the one who sees me. The first truth I want you to walk away with this passage 
is that God loves you. He cares. He sees. But number two, God is a God who is working for change. God is a God who actually seeks to make changes in our lives. God is not the God who wants to leave things as they are, but he wants to bring about a change. Can I show you the only change that I see of the big one that I see in this situation? It was in Abram's life. Abram, who was quick to say, okay, Sarah, if you want me to marry another woman, I guess that'd be all right with me. She's younger. Okay, maybe. <laughs> Abraham's quick to get into that mess. Abraham's quick to overlook the abuse, both from Hagar to Sarah and then from Sarah to Hagar. He's quick to kind of give up on this. He is quick to not deal with the situation and help work in his wife's life. He was not the leader in his home that he should be. He was quick to do all of that, but God brings about a change. Hagar's return ended up being the opportunity for God to do a work in Abram's life. Look at what happens in verse 18. This is the point where God is speaking again about the promise. God has said to Abraham, look, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a son. It's a son through Sarah. That will be how the nations will be blessed. Look at what Abram says. Well, Lord, how, how can I do this if I'm old? But if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. If only my firstborn son here, if only Ishmael might, might actually live under your blessing. God, if you would do something for him. And in verse 20, God responds, As for Ishmael, I've heard you. He's the God who hears. I will bless him. I will make him fruitful. I will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. He'll be protected. He'll have a family. He'll become a clan. In fact, that clan will become a nation. God had a plan for Ishmael. God had a plan for Abraham. Did you see the heart change? In fact, in chapter 17, it says when Abraham was 99 years old, he was circumcised. God gave him this covenant. And the first thing he does is bring his son along and says to Ishmael, who was 13, so Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. God signaled to Ishmael. God signaled to Abraham, you are part of my covenant, my covenant people. And Abraham's heart went out to his son. Abraham changed from being, hey, whatever you want to do with Hagar, whatever happens there, I don't care, to this is my son. This is my family. This is whom I love. God brings about change. God's desire, even in these difficulties, is to bring a change in us so that we would be more like Christ. We would trust God more. We would learn to deal with situations better. But also, that he would bring a change through us into the lives of others. Now, that is not easy to hear. And I've got to be honest, <clears throat> it's not my favorite point in the whole scripture. Um, here's how I like things to go. I've kind of got a plan for most people's lives. Um, and here's how it goes. You've got a problem, we pray about it, God answers it immediately, and then we're all happy. Anybody have that narrative? That just seems like a good plan to me. It seems like it's a great idea. But it's the ones where it just doesn't seem to get fixed in year one. It just doesn't seem to get fixed in year two. I've been praying for three whole years, and it doesn't seem to be better. Does anybody have the decade-long, 
20 year long and God how are you going to bring this change those are the places where we begin to doubt God's goodness and yet God is wanting to create patience in us has anybody ever prayed for patience see I stopped doing that because how does God help us become more patient oh no it's by giving us situations where we have to wait for him we have to wait for him to move <clears throat> my wife prayed one time um, <clears throat> I told her don't pray this anymore she prayed God give me more to do that I'm able to get done so I can be more dependent on you I'm like no 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 don't pray that God give us vacation <laughs> Lord we could, we could use some rest that's what I'm thinking give us give us more patience give us more to do I don't know if that's a good plan here, though, we realize that the only way for Abraham to grow as a person, to learn to be a guide in his family, to learn to trust God in impossible situations, was to walk through these impossible situations. Now, once again, we make a mistake. Does that mean God wants these horrible things in our life? Does God want these abusive situations in our life? Does God want these things? Absolutely not. They are because of our sin. They are because of our brokenness that this occurs. But the scripture is clear. Romans chapter 8. God works all things. Even horrible things. Even bad things we've caused. God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We go through some horrible things because of sin, because of brokenness, because of the fallenness of this world. And God uses some of those horrible things. In fact, he uses all of those horrible things ultimately to bring change in our lives as we are responding to him. But here's the danger. You might not be responsive to God you might not be willing to let that change come in you. Sure, Abraham was changed, but look at Sarah. Not everybody responded to God's call for change. In fact, look, chapter 2, this should have been the time of celebration, chapter 21. Sarah becomes pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. And at the very time that God promised him, and Abraham gave them the name Isaac. We'll look at that in a few weeks. Isaac meaning laughter uh, to the son born to him. What a time of great joy in the family. There's a second son, one born to, to, to Sarah. This was a miracle. This was an impossibility. But what happened? Family tension. Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, uh, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. I don't know how he was mocking, like, oh, what an ugly baby, or all babies are beautiful, except they're kind of not, but, you know, we all say they're beautiful. Um, but it, was he mocking the good looks or bad looks of the child? It was just a baby. Was he mocking because Sarah was too old and it was difficult for her to take care of a child at this age? What was he mocking? Was he like, oh, look, he'll never be as good as me. He's much younger than me. Did you know that I'm 10 years older than my brothers? 10 and 11 years. Guess who won every game? Let's play Monopoly. I win. Let's play basketball. I win. It doesn't matter because I'm like 10 years older. You're like 5 and I'm 15. I'm going to win. It doesn't matter. Now, I would try to let them lose, but then if I didn't want to, I would win, right? Because I could always win. Ha, ha, ha. 
Was it that kind of mocking as the child was growing up? What was going on here? Something was causing family disruption. Sarah says to Abraham, get rid of the slave woman and her son. Not your wife, not your firstborn son. Get rid of the slave woman and her son. Not your son, her son. They're foreigners. They're not really part of her us because that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. What was going on here? This, this casting out of people who had become part of the family. Sarah had not allowed change to happen in her. But Abraham had. Look at verse 11. This matter distressed Abraham greatly. It concerned him about his son. But notice, he went to God about it this time. He goes to the Lord about it this time. God, how do I lead my family? God, how do I make things better here? God, what am I going to do? God, help me. And God gives a very strange baby in the desert. There's no food. There's no water. Verse 15, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I, I just can't sit here and watch the boy die. We're all going to die of hunger, die of thirst. And as she sat there, she began to sob. But verse 17, this is what Hagar had to learn. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him a great nation. Verse 19. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. What's going on? What's going on? God's using this terrible situation to teach Abraham, Abraham, I can take care of this. Hagar, I can take care of this. I want you to see my provision, my plan. It's not been my plan so far. It's not been the good that I intended for this family to have. But instead, in this abuse, in this wrecked home, I am going to bring out my provision. I am going to bring forth a blessing. I am going to show how I can make transformation in your life that you could learn to trust me and verse 20, God was with the boy. God was with the boy. God was with that young man. And as he grew up, he lived in the desert. He became an archer. And while he was living in the desert, Paran, his mother got him a wife for him uh, from Egypt. Ultimately, he has 12 sons. Ultimately, he starts his own clan. Ultimately, God breaks them into a great nation. God works a miracle because God was with him. So much of the time we're stuck on these temporary circumstances. How can God bring change? Well, first he's got to bring the change in us. You see, we've talked about being a disciple-making church. We've talked about helping people through these really hard situations, and they are challenging uh, for us. But the very thing we need to do in these tough situations is examine ourselves first. Am I being a person of faith? Am I trusting that God can move? Am I giving up on the Lord's promises? Do I just kind of give up in despair? There's nothing we can do. There's no way we can help. There's nothing. Or do we enter in through prayer, through support? We've got to examine ourselves to see if we're the ones who are in some of our relationships being those who are the abusers, being those who are being unkind, being those who are not being people of faith, being people who are problematic in our home relationships, in our workplaces. 
Then number two, we always need to remind others of God's care. What do I mean by that? That sounds kind of innocuous, but so often we don't speak about the truths of God. We listen, and we need to listen attentively, but we have to continue, just like our sister Dawn did this morning, remind us that the Lord is our God, that He's our strength, that He's our ever-present help in times of trouble, that God has a plan, that God has a purpose, that God is going to fulfill His promises. We need to remind and point to the Lord and help others keep their focus on the Lord, that God is going to work. We need, and it's going to take, it might be over years, it might be over decades, our patience begins to run out. Lord, give us more. Give us more patience. Give us more trust. And finally, we got to have open eyes. We need to ask the Lord to open our eyes to the provision that he has, whether it's a well that was already there in the desert, or, or whether it's a family member that, that, that can provide resources, or whether it's places that we participate in. We talk about ACTC as a place that, that we help, we, we use together with other churches, places to help those who are homeless, those who are in need of food, those who are in need of, of, of mental support. We work together to provide those things as God's people because sometimes the provision that God has, are you ready? It's us. Sometimes we are the provision that God has for his people, God, that God has for needs. There's a song that's on the radio. It's real popular right now. It's called The God Who Stays by Matthew West. And he repeats this, the God who stays, you're the God who stays when... Uh, you're the one who runs in my direction. When everybody else runs away, you're the God who stays. But I wonder, as we read this passage... If the truth isn't this, he's the God who sees. He sees your misery and all of those who are suffering. He's the God who hears, who hears our cries. Because as it, as it says in the song, no enemy can separate, no power of hell uh, can ever take away. Your love for me will never change. I'm yours. This morning, some of you may not be his. Not because God's offer isn't there, but because you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Because he died for your sins. He rose again. He's come to give you his Holy Spirit and life. And maybe you've been walking through these difficult days, or you've had those difficult times, and you're trying to do it on your own. God hears your cries, and he's already provided forgiveness for your sins and eternal life and a relationship with him and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's all available, but you have to say yes. Yes to Jesus. Yes to his forgiveness. Yes to his love. Yes to his lordship in your life. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, maybe today you want to respond to him. For some of you, you do know Jesus, but you've been going through a tough time. I mean, circumstances in home, circumstances in the workplace, circumstances in your neighborhood, circumstances wherever that have just been abusive and weighing you down. And maybe you just want to pray and pray and respond to the Lord and say, Lord, I know that you hear me. I know you see. Help me see your provision. Help me see how to respond. And some of us, and this is quite honestly me this week, there's places I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what to do. 
It's their families that I don't feel like I can help. It's bigger than me. I don't have the skills. I don't have the ability. I, I, how can I? But just like the little boy with some loaves and some fish, I'll say, here's what I got. Take it, Jesus, and use it any way you want to. Because you are the Savior in the situation. You are the healer. You are the one who ultimately saves the day. If you've never trusted Jesus, maybe today you want to come to the front. I'll be here. We're going to listen to the song by Matthew West. We're going to sing along if you would like to. But I would encourage you to think about the God who stays with us, the God who sees, the God who hears. And if you need to pray about a situation that's difficult in your life, something that is really breaking you to your core, come. You respond. Uh, the altar is open. I'll be here to pray with you. Or you can pray just before the Lord, maybe in your seat. Cry out to him, to the God who sees, the God who hears, the God who cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we do as your word says. We cast our cares upon you because you care for us. God, in this difficult message, would you bring healing? Would you bring understanding? Would you bring patience? And would you bring hope and trust? Because you, the God of hope, fill us with hope through your son Jesus. We pray all of this in his name.